This is the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I'm Benjamin Wargle, the Wisconsin football and men's basketball beat writer for Rivals.com. Hope everyone had a safe 4th of July as the days are starting to tick closer and closer to the presumptive start of the college football season. But presumptive is the key word in that equation, and we'll dive into that topic here in a second. Our guest this week is a special one. Uh, For those that have been reading my work at BadgerBlitz.com over the last several months, there's been a lack of daily football news to cover, so I've done recruiting anniversary pieces. They focus on those high-profile recruits or those under-the-radar prospects who pledge to Wisconsin honor around their commitment date. I've done Chris Borland, Travis Frederick, uh, John Budmeyer, Kurt Phillips, uh, a, a number of different guys that I have been able to kind of profile the meaning of their recruitment, how big it was at the time, and how they ended up over the course of their career. Chikwe Obashi and Rob Wilwright committed on the same day a long time ago. Our guest this week, I'm a little late on his commitment. He committed at the end of June several years ago, 13 years ago to be exact. But Kevin Zeitler is going to join the program. Happy to have Kevin on, one of the best offensive linemen Wisconsin's produced in the last two decades, in my opinion. We're going to touch on his commitment, what it meant to him at the time, reliving that commitment. He had an offer from Michigan that was uh, taken away from him almost as quickly as it was given to him, as it turns out. We'll touch on his NFL journey, some of those Big Ten title teams he played on, and hopefully him getting back to work with the New York Giants here in the coming weeks. But getting back to work, though, it's kind of the theme for this month of July across the sporting world. Uh, The PGA Tour and NASCAR have resumed competition, although those are more individual-based sports. Team sports are aiming for a late July start uh, or resuming their season in case of the NBA. But as we've seen in the past week, that's going to be a lot easier said than done. In the NBA, which is sequestering 22 teams in the the infamous bubble in Orlando that we've heard so much about, to play eight regular season games before the playoffs begin, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Sacramento Kings this past week shut down their training facilities after receiving coronavirus test results. In the M- MLB, which is beginning their summer camp with the aim to start here later this month, several franchises have seen delays in receiving their tests, forcing them to cancel workouts to prevent against the unknowns. There's been no update on the NFL's protocol, so we'll ask Zeitler about that in a couple of minutes, but it's almost assumed that things are going to be drastically altered than what we've seen in the past uh, several seasons. Now, on the college front, more specifically at Wisconsin, the university has not released any updated figures since June 22nd, when they said during the school's initial on-campus screening of 117 fall student-athletes, Two tested positive for COVID-19. Now, that's pretty good considering colleges across the country are dealing with pods of players testing positive for the virus and shutting down those summer workouts. It has been reported that Clemson has had over 30 players infected. Now, Big Ten Conference School Rutgers said classes will be mostly online this fall. While that will limit in-person attendance and restrict university housing, the school's presence said there are no immediate changes to athletics. It's assumed by many that a lot of schools will follow a similar path, although the University of Wisconsin said that in-person classes will be held until around Thanksgiving, and then the final stretch of the semester will be held online, and other on, other classes will be limited. Now, the NCAA recently approved a six-week plan that will allow for schools to begin holding formal workouts July 13th to prepare for the season. That's next week, with camp beginning beginning of August. Now, it's one thing to ask a paid professional athlete to quarantine for several months away from their family and friends for their season, 
but it feels far-fetched to me to ask unpaid college athletes to not have any social interaction for an entire semester. That formulates my opinion that college football is going to be significantly altered in some way this fall, whether it be starting late, starting extremely late, or perhaps not starting at all. Although I feel that is the doomsday scenario for many college administrators across the country. Now, while it appears to be a given that there will be little to no fans in the stands on football Saturdays, there is too much money on the line with television revenue to not play college football at some point. So what will we know and when? The when could be soon, as ESPN reported that SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey is looking at a late July deadline to make a final call. UWAD Barry Alvarez has said the same thing, that we need to make a decision sooner rather than later with the information that we have at hand. The what is more complicated. Bleacher Report, in a story this week, talked with athletic directors and individuals in the decision-making process of college football, said there are two scheduling changes that are becoming more and more likely as the days pass. The consensus currently among those people is that the 2020 non-conference schedule will be eliminated. That means the Badgers will no longer host Appalachian State in Southern Illinois, and their neutral site game, the much-hyped one against Notre Dame at Lambeau Field, will be off the schedule. There's also an option of potentially postponing the opening weekend to late September or October, a schedule that could work if non-conference games are indeed eliminated. This is to prevent the pods of hotspots in Tennessee, Texas, Florida, California to hopefully get the virus under control. Now, moving the season to the spring seems unlikely because of the quick turnaround being a burden on the student-athletes, but it has been an option that has been talked about. Whatever happens, the thought of 80,000 people packing into Camp Randall in early September for the season opener appears practically impossible. Now, as news breaks, we'll revisit this topic, but let's move on to a more joyful conversation with our VIP of the week. Our guest this week committed to the University of Wisconsin last month, June 27th, but in 2007, 13 years ago, he committed over Air Force, Army, Michigan, Minnesota, Purdue, And he turned out to be one of the best offensive linemen Wisconsin has produced in decades, I would say. And now he's a a highly paid offensive lineman in the NFL, playing now for your New York Giants. Kevin Zeitler joins the podcast. Kevin, does it feel like 13 years ago that you made that big life-altering decision in your life? Um, No, it really didn't. Actually, it shocked me when you said that aloud. Um, Surprising how uh, time flies. How much do you remember about your recruiting process? Because, you know, you being uh, an in-state kid, Wisconsin was a top priority for Bob Bostead, who was not only your position coach, but your recruiting contact. Uh, how how much do you remember about it? I know that you kind of went through it to a degree, but Wisconsin, when they kind of came through, they kind of immediately went to the top for you and, and pretty much stayed there the whole time, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, um, so pretty much my recruiting was like, you know, zero interest. You know, Wisconsin now is actually getting recruited a lot more than it used to. Like, there were many people playing D1 right. back then. You know, because one of my goals was to play D1. And um, after I had the chance, like, to attend one of those Nike Showcase camps, that's when offers started pouring in. So, like you mentioned, you know, Michigan came in, Purdue, uh, Miami, Florida came in, and other, a couple other schools. So, as far as Wisconsin, you know, the craziest part was, like, I went to Michigan, got my offer. You know, you think, okay, Michigan, you know, maybe 
I should look at this program. Well, the next day I get a call, another kid committed, and it's like, well, we can't take you. So mm-hmm. literally, like, I hung up the phone and called the scouts that I am committing to not about to lose my spot at another school that, you know, I was considering strictly because of another kid committing. So I locked in right away after that. I think it turned out okay for you. And you mentioned it, too, that, you know, look, nowadays, you know, Michigan State has made a huge emphasis in recruiting state. You see in-state kids get offers from SEC schools. LSU, Alabama have made offers to kids in-state. It's crazy with how recruiting has changed. Why do you think that is? Is it because the level of high school talent in Wisconsin has increased, or is it a large part because of people like you, the in-state guys, staying in-state, playing at Wisconsin, and then obviously the success the Badgers have had over the last 30 years is, you know, comparable to some of the top teams in the country with their sustained success. Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing, you know, I think, kind of like you said, um, Wisconsin's had so much success, you know, for the time I was there recently, all these, you know, Big Ten championship, the Big Ten championship game appearances, the big bowl game wins, you know, these developmental walk-on talents that are still, you know, being great players in the NFL. Like, so obviously there's something clicking, you know, so I think other states are recognizing, okay, they've got players up there that just might, you know, need some development and, you know, they can be a critical part. And on top of that, I think, you know, Wisconsin, just in general as a state, you know, is taking football more seriously. You look at some of the programs and whatnot, you know, what they're able to do and how they're performing, like, you know, I think it's all just kind of coming together. Your recruiting class in 2008, I looked it up, had 24 kids committed. And, you know, there's a number of kids that maybe didn't do as much at the college level. But you had a lot of guys that have had pretty good careers. You know, Antonio Finellis, uh, Brad Nortman punting in the NFL. Uh, you look at, obviously, yourself, Mike Taylor with the great career that he had. Peter Kahn's, uh was drafted by the Falcons. And, you know, your offensive line group in that in that class was, was you, Peter, uh, Jake Current, and, and Joe Schaefer. H- how much contact do you have with you know those guys that are in your class, in your recruiting class, and, and specifically those offensive linemen that you came in with? Oh, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Just like how life, you know, when you're in college, you know, you're always around each other and able to hang out as soon as life, you know, pulls you apart, you know, just living in different parts of the country. Um, ironically, the one I have the most contact with is uh, Rick Wagner because mm-hmm. we uh, still train together in the off season. <laughs> yeah, Rick now playing uh, with the Packers, uh, which I think a lot of people are kind of excited about, just because traditionally Green Bay doesn't bring in many former Badgers or draft many former Badgers. Jared Everett being like the only one, and Vince Beagle too over the last couple of years. But you know, you played in three games in '08, and then you pretty much took off at Wisconsin. You played 13 games in, in 09. You played all 13 games in 10, all 14 games in 11. Did it, your career kind of go by in the blink of an eye, or was it one of those things where it was it was so much fun that you really were able to enjoy each and every minute of playing for Big Ten championships, going for Rose Bowls, all those things that you were able to enjoy throughout the course of your career? I mean, it really does. You know, when it's over, it goes right fast. You know, uh, once it's, when it's happening, you know, you it takes a little longer. But, you know, it's just such a great time to be there, you know. Having the talent that we did, we were able to, you know, get a really good thing going, you know, have a great, like, culture and belief on the team. And, you know, it was really a perfect time to be there. 
what year's team was better in your eyes? Was it the 2010 team or was it the 2011 team that you guys just set all sorts of uh, records with a pretty good quarterback named Russell Wilson under center? What, what team do you think was the better overall unit you had? Oh, gosh, you know, that's tough. You know, there were some differences, but there's so much turnover between the two teams, which is a crazy thing about, but there's so much talent on both of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think you just had to go biasly with your senior year, you know, Mm -hmm. having Russell, you being the senior, you know, a leader and all that, and, like, you know, still being able to do, you know, getting the first Big Ten championship game and all that, you know, it's just uh, a pretty cool year. People forget how good Monte Ball's year was, too. I mean, I mean now, just because of what Jonathan Taylor has done here over the last several years, people forget of, of what a special year uh, Monte had in 2011 with tying Barry's record for most touchdowns in a season. As you kind of recall back to that year, him going through it, was that just the emphasis of a guy just being in the zone all season long that whatever block you guys made, he was able to take advantage of and turn it into something special? Yeah, you know, it was always funny. We always, uh, we didn't realize how many touchdowns he was having. Yeah. I just remember it was a night before the game, and we were watching a sports center, and suddenly popped up, like, the nation's leading touchdowns. We were just like, what? <laughs> the alarm was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then so you know, that story takes off. You're like, okay, let's do this. And, you know, kept building and building and building, and it was a pretty cool thing to be a part of. Yeah, your line uh, that year was in- insane. I mean, you had... You know, Rick and Ryan Groy, who you know got opportunities in the NFL on one side of you. Travis Frederick, who just retired and was one of the top centers in the game for a number of years. And Josh Oglesby, who battled so many knee injuries over the course of his tenure, probably had one of his best seasons that year, too. I mean, that was a really solid line. And even the, the 2010 line was really good, too, with, with Moffitt and Karimi. You got to play next to some really impressive guys who were able to make it to the league. How, I guess... Important was that for you to have that type of talent around you to make yourself better, and how much of a kind of a a bar did those guys set that you tried to to clear yourself with just what they were able to obtain? I mean, I think with Wisconsin, I think you know if you're playing a line and you're going there, you know the history, you know, and anyone who goes there definitely has talent or potential to develop. So. I mean, it's kind of like a crucible. You know, they're going to push that group. You know, the line coach is going to push you harder than any other group. Hold you to higher standards. You know, they're going to, so to say, trim the fat in a way. <laughs> like they're going to make you strong. They're going to make you mentally tough. And you know, it's tough when you're there. But you know, the results keep showing on the field. And the field, and after you like personally see the results, it just like, you know, it pulls you. You want to be a part of it more. You want to keep buying in and keep pushing. And it's a pretty wild thing to be a part of. I'm curious, Kevin, when you, you obviously spent a lot of time with, with Bob Bostead during your time there, um, how much interaction and how much real in-depth conversation did you have with Paul Kress as when he was your OC? Was it as, as much as it was with Bob? Was it more? Was it less? How, how much interaction did you guys have outside of maybe the game planning aspect of what you were going to do that week with Paul? I mean, as far as Paul, I mean, always thought a really cool thing with him was, you know, uh, you always had, um, uh, yeah, uh, like, Monday film watching requirements. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, Monday was your off day, but, you know, you wanted to get in there, watch the film, like, start, you know, get a general idea of the defense before they installed the next day. So I'd always come in and do that at night, but then I'd always uh, go into Paul's office and we'd always have a little chat. 
lot of people, Kevin, were, were surprised. I shouldn't say surprised, but a lot of people were maybe concerned when Paul was named the head coach, not because of what he can do on the field with his X and O's, but kind of in the recruiting front, because Paul was never really known as much of a recruiter. But people are surprised because now Wisconsin is turning out these top 30 classes, and Wisconsin's got the number 13 class in the country right now in terms of star rankings. And I know that star rankings are subjective, but a lot of people say it's the family atmosphere that Paul has created as the reason why Wisconsin is kind of alluring these type of, of guys. And it seems like Paul has always had that persona with him. When you saw that he was going to replace uh, Gary as the head coach, did you think that Wisconsin was going to really not miss a beat and maybe even get better than where they were when you know than when you left the program under Brett? I mean, I had um, no worries on that front. Like knowing him, you know, he's just one of those genuine guys you're going to meet. You know, you know, people worry about him not being flashy. It doesn't matter because he is going to, you know. He's very truthful, you know, he's going to get the best out of you, and, mm-hmm. you know, I was never worried, like, because whatever he's given, you know, he's going to find the best way to use it. He has a special ability to bring out the best in people, and, you know, it's a real cool thing to play for him. Kevin, what's the big thing you learned during your time in Cleveland? I mean, you, you certainly uh, a program, a franchise that maybe gets knocked around a little bit because of some of the things that have happened away from the field and that therefore kind of gets put the onus of stuff that happens on the field with the product. But you steadily, I think, had some of your some really solid years there. What did you kind of learn about yourself and how you needed to prepare and block out things that are outside of your control once you get to the professional level? Um, Cleveland was uh, definitely an interesting experience, you know, coming in there. You kind of like, you know, Cleveland's history, so, mm-hmm. and you never think it's, you know, I mean, it, it was nuts, like, just so many things that happened, and then you really learn, like, you know, as a player, you know, not much is in your control in terms of, you know, what happens and whatnot. It, it was a quite the experience, and, uh, yeah, you definitely learn a lot about yourself and uh, football in general when you're going through something like that. What was it like getting a chance to, to work with Joe Thomas and just getting a chance to pick his brain? He's going to be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer here in, in a couple of years. What was that like for you just to be able to kind of take what you learned from Cincinnati, who drafted you in 12, and maybe expand upon it with, with stuff that Joe has learned about? Because Joe is Mr. Cleveland Brown with all the stuff that he's been through and learned about, and he's probably maybe just ahead of you in terms of great Wisconsin offensive linemen in the last handful of years. What was that like for you? It was cool, you know. I never got to play with Joe at Wisconsin, but you always heard, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like the legends about him, you know, how athletic he was. And, you know, I think, you know, Stanford, you just realize, you know, that guy was a special talent, you know, just, you know, born a little different from the rest of the alignment in the world. But, um, you know, he took the game, even though he had that talent, he took the game of preparation very seriously. You know, he's a very smart guy. He had played so much football. I think more than anything, there's a new respect for him. Apparently, played 10 years in Cleveland through all that transition and all that, you know, tough seasons and whatnot. Like, you know, me going through one, you know, insane season, like, it's insane to think that he got through 10 of those. <laughs> well, what was the big difference between 
all your previous stops in, in Cincinnati. Uh, were you just kind of just eyes wide open there, or were you trying to be as big of a sponge as you possibly could to try to learn how to handle I mean, it's it's still football, but it's almost like a different brand of football that you get thrust into when you get you know selected in the first round in, in the in the NFL draft, isn't it? Yeah, I'm still saying it was a great time. Um, you know, we had a lot of talent on the team those five years I was there, and we won a lot of games. Um, I think it was nice, you know, because the NFL was definitely different from college. I was like, you know, I had a great coach, a great system, and you know, they told me straight up, I mean, you're the guy, you know the day I got the phone call. So it was like, okay, there's no time to screw around as a rookie. Like, you know, I'm playing my first NFL game in like, you know, four months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I took it, you know, the same approach as I did at Wisconsin. They prepped me really well, like how to study, how to prep, how to work extra. And, you know, it carried right over and it worked out super well. Were you surprised when you got traded to New York? I mean, I think everyone, to a degree, who has been in that position who gets traded is surprised to a degree. But you're going to a program or a franchise who wants you. But how did you take the that news that you were being moved to New York? Oh, I mean, first of all, it was a shock. You know, I didn't think it was going to happen on that front. I thought we had some uh, really good things going in Cleveland, and I was you know, excited to be a part of it. With, like, seems like it's a good nucleus there, Kevin, just from the outside looking at I mean, certainly you have a great running back in Saquon, and you know, a lot of people were very critical of the pick of Daniel Jones, but Daniel, I thought, held his own for a lot. Uh, a good part of the year he set a uh, franchise rookie record with 24 touchdown passes. Uh, it's, it seems like even though maybe the 4-12 and 12 record doesn't stand out, it seems like the foundation was built that you guys can be competitive in the not-too-distant future, at least from an offensive standpoint with the pieces that are being put around you. Yeah, I'm uh, definitely excited to, you know, get to work and, you know, figure out what we all can do. Um, I know we have great guys, and I'm excited to see, you know, what the new staff and everyone, what we can all put together. What do you... How are you approaching this off season? Because this is unprecedented time, obviously. I mean, all OTAs were canceled. Um, many camps have been washed out. It sounds like we're going to lose some preseason games, which may or may not be a good thing. Uh, how are you trying to prep to get yourself ready for when you get the green light to get back to New York and to start working to get ready for your season? I mean, it was, like you said, it's been a crazy offseason. Um, you know, when Wisconsin shut down, I was lucky to be able to get some equipment into my house. You know, I was able to procure a little bit, so I was able to keep, you know, some sort of training going. You know, I had a backyard that was, you know, luckily it was long enough I was able to run in. So I was able to keep going. But, um, you know, it's the same, you know, as being able to go to a gym and, you know, be with your teammates and OTAs and all that. So, you know, you know, you 
what are your concerns about playing the season upcoming with everything that's going on? Do you have concerns, or can you just control what you can control pretty much? I mean, really, that is all you can do. It's you control, you control, you know. We're going to see what happens, what, you know, the NFL says to do. And, you know, from there, it's just about us, you know, individually taking responsibility for ourselves, as well as, you know, doing what we need to do as a team and, you know, working our way through this year. I, people have been saying that how weird it's going to be when, you know, if you have to have games without fans. And I would just say, you know, Wisconsin players are used to this because they played in Purdue and they played at Illinois. You know, you pretty much are used to playing in some venues without fans, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it'll be um, interesting. You know, you hope fans can get in there, you know. It's always a great day when you have that crowd's energy, you know. You know, Camp Randall. Right. <laughs> like, you know, how much of an effect they can have. Um, you know, but in the end, it'll be, you know, it is what it is, whatever the area decides to do. You know, it's a unique year. Hopefully this doesn't have to pass this year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything will be great. And, and last one here for you, Kevin. When you look at the Wisconsin program and what they've done, I mean, over the last couple of years, they just got back to the Rose Bowl. They're, they've been on the doorstep for the Big Ten Championship the last couple of years. Why has the program continued to trend upward since Barry left? I mean, Brett's years were phenomenally good. I mean, he ended with three straight championships. You were part of two of them. Gary had his own different ways, but he still was able to you know, win a bunch of games. And now Paul has seemingly taken it to another level. Why do you think Wisconsin continues to, to trend upward, and how close do you think that they are from really breaking down the door in the college football landscape and making the playoff and then competing for that ultimate prize? Uh, I think it's just the culture. You know, each coach has come in and done, you know, their own thing, but that culture just keeps building and building and building. That's never faltered. And, you know, the guys just keep buying in and buying in and, you know, all these wins, you know, it just keeps adding to it. So, I mean, on that front, you know, they just have something special. And, you know, I think it's going to keep growing and growing. As far as could be, I mean, they're right there. I mean, yeah. they're so close, and, you know, it's, it definitely can happen. It's just a matter of when. That is the great Kevin Zeitler joining the podcast. Always great to catch up with Kevin. It's always nice to see him when he's on campus uh, at the University of Wisconsin. One of my all-time favorite people to interview, to talk to after games. Always honest with his opinion of how things went during the game. And, again, I thank him for joining us this week. Before we wrap up, a couple things I want to point out. Uh, we, with no real c- sports to talk about, a lot of people have been doing rankings and breakdowns. Uh, John McNamara, the publisher at BadgerBlitz.com, has done a lot of cool things like that, ranking recruiting classes, bringing up recruiting class memories. Uh, he got myself, uh, Zach Halperin of The Zone, former uh, beat writer John Bellheis of BadgerBlitz.com, and some others to rank uh, the last top 10 recruiting classes of, of a 10-year period, and that was up on the site. That was really cool to, to be involved in that, to kind of see where classes ranked uh, after they had graduated. Uh, Big Ten Network did an all-decade team for both basketball and football. No surprise for basketball. Frank Kaminsky was on the first team. Ethan Happ on the second team. Uh, football was a little more interesting. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was the the first team on the first team there, but you could easily made a case for Monte Ball being on that team. Uh, you look at 
offensive line. Wisconsin had 12 first-team All-Americans in the 2000s. Michael Dieter was the one selected. You can make an argument for a number of other players. Defensively, J.J. Watt and Chris Borland were on that team. Uh, Chris Borland was a fantastic athlete for the University of Wisconsin, and his recruiting story was even more spectacular, how he really was not getting recruited, had no offers from anyone when he came to Wisconsin summer camp, and he was at a three-day camp, and he stayed after each day to do special team drills, to punt, to kick field goals, one day to run routes for the quarterbacks. He's making one-handed catches, and he earns the scholarship offer, and within hours, he calls his dad, tells his dad, and his dad says, commit, and he commits, and he becomes one of the greatest linebackers in the history of the University of Wisconsin. Would love to have seen him play longer in the NFL, but made the choice after just one year that his long-term health was much more important to him, and so he retired. J.J. Watts, you know, his story has been told that nauseum. But you have to just applaud uh, guys like Jonathan Taylor. It, someone pointed out, too, that if you would have told me before Jonathan Taylor got here that at the end of the decade, Wisconsin was going to have a running back on the all-decade team, and it was not going to be Monte Ball, and it was not going to be Melvin Gordon, I would have thought you were crazy, but the work that Jonathan Taylor put in over three years at Wisconsin speaks for itself. Michael Deere probably wouldn't have been my pick for uh, the representative from the All-Americans at Wisconsin uh, to be on the All-Decade team, but the work that he did for the Badgers playing center, left guard, left tackle, the versatility that he had, I think maybe kind of gave him a little extra push. It'll be interesting to see where he kind of winds up when his NFL career is done with the Miami Dolphins and the work that he put in. Certainly one of the Iron Men of the Badgers, too, never missing a game and really being kind of an anchor for that team. His selflessness move of moving uh, out of the center spot to allow Tyler Biotis to play certainly deserves a nod, too. And also, too, I should mention with, with rankings, one of the cool things that I've wanted to do for a long period of time and haven't been able to do is really take a deep dive into how the football program has changed rivalries and the perception of rivalries that they've had with other Big Ten teams since Alvarez came aboard in 1990. And so over the course of the last several days and over the course of the next several days, I've been looking at how Wisconsin's rivalry with Michigan has changed, with Michigan State, with Iowa. Uh, I've already posted those on BadgerBlitz.com. I think a lot of people really enjoy reading them. Minnesota will be coming up. Purdue, Nebraska. I'm really going to have looked at everybody and those have been fun to kind of look back at some of the turning points in these rivalries. A lot of these series that Wisconsin had uh, involved long losing streaks in the 70s and the 80s when Wisconsin football really wasn't the brand name that it is now. And it's kind of just to see how Alvarez coming here and changing the culture kind of flipped the script with those narratives, made these series much more competitive, and how the time that Bielma was here – the brief time Gary Anderson was here and what Paul has done, too, to kind of carry on that tradition. Uh, it's kind of impressive seeing how the, the script has been flipped, so to speak. I get a lot of negative comments. Why are you including Gary Anderson in this? Well, Gary, despite his quirks and despite how he was changing the way Wisconsin approached things, still had two pretty good years for the Badgers. Made a Big Ten championship game, won nine games the other year, too. Can't just erase those two years 
because, hey, without those two years, you wouldn't have a star-studded 3-4 defensive scheme that Wisconsin has utilized to the fullest in the last couple of years. So be sure to look for that over the next several weeks. Uh, may also do a dive into basketball, too, I think, with the success that Bo, Ryan, and Greg Gard have had in their 20 years at Wisconsin. I think that warrants a closer inspection as well. For the latest on Wisconsin football basketball recruiting, log on to BadgerBlitz.com. Follow me on Twitter at TheBadgerNation and follow BadgerBlitz at Badger underscore Blitz. Have a really interesting guest lined up for next week. Hopefully we'll have that for you as you continue to enjoy your summer listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.